Before we get started, we want to thank the folks who've already joined us as patrons and also to make a pitch. Check out our Patreon page at the bottom of every article on 55.1. It's a simple way to help us continue to make podcasts, news, features, and periscopes. It doesn't cost you much, and it goes a long way. Patrons get exclusive content like last week's 20-minute interview we did with Jeb Brovsky, where we talked about his nonprofit, his facial hair, his interest in social justice, and trying to talk politics in the locker room. And for those of us who are already patrons, we want your feedback. What kind of special content would you like to see in here? Hit us up, send us uh, emails uh, or uh, any sort of feedback via the Patreon site. And uh, for everyone else, please check it out and consider supporting. Thanks. And welcome to another episode of the 55.1 Podcast. My name is Jeff. Silencing his phone like a good listener should is Wes Burdine. Wes, how are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm doing very well. I got the, the kids down for nap, and then I have to like wake back up for... Uh, or kids down for bed, and I have to wake back up nap. for the, for the are podcast. Are they on like the Woodrow yeah. Wilson presidential sleep schedule? They're doing the thing where they, um, they, only, uh, they don't sleep uh, overnight. They only take five minutes nap naps every uh, every thirty minutes, and so it's it's perfect. Yeah. Interesting. Nothing uh, can go wrong there. In Philadelphia, we have Alex Schieferdecker. Alex, what is your nap schedule like? I don't take naps. Wow. I'm a pretty regular sleeper. Uh, sorry to be do- sorry to be boring. Well, no. Tell me more about this. I don't know what that's like. So regular <laughs> sleeper, you're like what seven hours, eight hours, twenty. I've been doing pretty well at getting eight hours, but it depends on the day. It depends on how much stuff I have to do. One thing that we're not going to sleep on oh, is God. Minnesota. <laughs> that's usually what you, <laughs> you do, Jeff. Right? Thank you. Yeah, no, that's my shtick. Yeah, um, so uh, this week on the podcast, uh, we <laughs> have the three of us assembled to talk about happy days are here again. Uh, we also are going to talk about goalkeeping errors because they're just freaking funny. And uh, and just craziness. It's going to be, I think, pretty much an, an all MLS episode. It's, yeah, nice sneeze. <laughs> there we go. All right, that's uh, mm, all right. Recover, so on that recover. <laughs> on that note, uh, we're going to do the good, the bad, and the weird. But first, uh, here's Big Quarters. They're a Minneapolis-based hip hop group. They let us use their music, so we're going to listen to it, and then we'll come back with the good, the bad, and the weird. Welcome back. It is MLS time because it's good, bad, and the weird, and we're we've got all MLS good, bad, and the weird. Mostly because Minnesota United basically just meant I didn't watch anything else all, all weekend, so nothing else happened. Um, let's start with the good first, which is I, I don't even know why this is good. I just threw it here, but Vancouver for LA Galaxy two. I knew that Alex would be on the show, so I wanted to talk about this. You've got a goalkeeping gaffe from Clement Diop, uh, who made only his second uh, appearance for the Galaxy. Uh, man, he was not very good. Uh, and he just he came out of his goal. Basically, the ball was like a long ball. There was no threat there. And he, 
he just runs past the guy, basically. It was... Romando-esque? Uh, no, a, this this was, I think, worse than Romando's. It took a pretty nasty bounce off the turf. I mean, you can you can come... You can see what he wants to do, and then the ball and the backspin and the turf combine, and it just, instead of bouncing in his direction, goes straight up. And yeah. falls straight to Christian Tochera, who actually does a very nice job to finish it, because it was not an easy finish. Yeah, and so my... Did you get a chance to watch this whole game, Alex? Yeah, I watched the whole game. Yeah, just because you're because <laughs> of your love for the coup or your hatred of Eric Hurtado, uh, just so you can bellyache about him. A little bit of both. Okay. Uh, so how bad was Eric Hurtado, or was, was he the greatest he was player? So bad. So the, the 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 moment of the game that was that was just like you know Italian chef kissing fingers. I mean, it was just <laughs> the ball gets turned over at midfield, and Hurtado and Tachera have a two on one. And instead of playing to chair in with like a long ball behind the defense, Hurtado goes for the midfield chip and doesn't, he doesn't even, like, it isn't accurate. It's, it, he slices it, so it goes off to the side, and it bounces like several times before hitting the end line. Like, no goalkeeper in the world would have been beaten by this horrible decision. You know, and, the- and, and at some point in the game, I, I texted uh, and... I think I posted on our Slack chat, actually. I said, the only thing that can save Vancouver's season is an Eric Hurtado injury. <laughs> and then immediately he gets injured. Oh, um, the voodoo well, I feel, doll. I feel really bad about that. But um, but Freddie Montero came in, and it was night and day. I mean, Vancouver looked so much better with a real striker on the field. Um, are you, wait, are you getting – is ice raiding your uh, apartment? <laughs> or did you have something to do yeah, with Eric Hurtado's like injury? Hands outside, yeah. What I will yeah, Philadelphia, the, the quaint rural sounds of Philadelphia. <laughs> what I will say though is suggestion for any Patreon patrons: um, if you want to recommend Alex Schieferdecker shit talking Eric Hurtado for twenty minutes, I will happily <laughs> set that. Oh up. yeah, we could just we could do a special uh, Hurtado special. Uh, it's yeah, like every week good. at this point. Uh, <laughs> The, the Galaxy are bad. I'll, I'll jump right to the weird, which is that Minnesota United are above the LA Galaxy in the standings. And yes, we have a game in hand, but... But on average points per game, we're ahead of them, too. This is this is a weird state of affairs, right? Yeah, and, and it's also weird that Real Salt Lake is on that end. And we'll talk about RSL much more in the second segment. But Kurt um, Anolfo, but, I mean, I wonder what Bruce Arena is saying as he, as he watches it. And it's I still mean, early in the season. Yeah, like remember where Minnesota was back when they'd only played four games. They'd had one point. So, you know, maybe they go ahead and they win this week. That's true. Yeah, so, but yeah, I mean, it's it's relatively toothless until they bring in Zlatan for $900 million a game. Um it's it's gonna be rough. Uh, Alessandrini had a goal, right? Their their mm. new DP, yeah, I think, but he still he didn't get credited for the first one either, and that was pretty much his. Yeah, but it's it's still like he's the kind of guy that you see. He's very similar to like Gerso, who signed with SKC, where it's like, a, yeah, that's a good piece to have, but it's not going to be like one of your three best players. And I would argue he isn't even one of their three best players. So well, it's a really bizarre mix for the Galaxy. What the Galaxy are missing is Robbie Keane. I mean, they've got they're playing Jack McBean up front, and then Giassi's artist is coming back from an injury, so he made a, a brief cameo at the end of that game. But they uh, they they don't have Robbie Keane, and you know who they uh, don't have? Hmm. Christian Ramirez. Yeah, they don't have Christian Ramirez either. 
They don't have. They don't have a. Yeah, they, I, right. they have some problems. They really do have some problems. Also, this guy that they bought this. I think he's a DP. Jao Pedro. Mm-hmm. He was bad against. Oh, really? He's a he's he a was, Tam guy. Yeah. He, I mean, he's their D mid, and he was getting muscled off of every ball. Well, he was not good. So they have some big issues there. Let's doomsday one more thing here. Oh. Let's say that they can't get Slatan during the summer. What's plan B? How do you how do you turn this around if you can't bring in the best striker in the league? I mean, there's plenty of great strikers. If if you've got LA Galaxy money and they they can spend it, there. I don't know how many are going to be available at that price point and be at the right point. Like that's such a unique. Robbie Keane was a perfect storm of things. But you don't need. They don't need it to be an old person that people know. I mean, there's striking talent out there in the world if you can pay money. Um, and yeah, I mean, well known people. No, sure, but I mean, all I'll say though is strikers are the the most easily once a striker proves himself at any level, it, it's pretty tough to kind of slip through the cracks of being a good savvy pickup. Yeah. So unless they can beat LAFC to Chicharito, which by the way would probably be my favorite LA Galaxy move and something Bruce Arena sure as shit would do, um, he's not there. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do um, during the summer window because I, I think that's their next best chance to really turn this around. Let's go to the bad, which is Friday night. The um, the just the the turd cake rolls uh, that that were uh, brought out by MLS for the two nil nil draws. From you had Atlanta and Seattle, Toronto and SKC. Those are three of the best attacking teams in the league. And SKC, yeah, and, and the SKC. and the best defensive team in the league. And so. SKC has played four matches. Three of them have been nil nil draws. That, I mean, that's like just just let's just take him out back behind the barn, put a bullet in the back of the head. It, it is that's that's fucking dire. I know that losing six one at home is bad, but nil nil. I mean, it's just like oh. That said, it's like watching a turtle pass a shitstone. I don't know what a shitstone is. Just like, <laughs> I mean, it's just like just it's boring. And eventually some like little dry pellets come out. That's all, all I'm imagining. All I'll say is at this point though, if Minnesota United had a nil nil draw, I seriously think I would throw like a, a pants off parade through the streets of Richmond or something. Yes. Well, yes. With with regard to SKC, remember that one of their two goals that they've scored this year was not a shot on target. It was a shot that David Bingham oh, yes. redirected right. into his own goal. Oh, and the God. other shot was a Benny Failhaber like wonder strike. Yes. So the SKC are in their I mean their defense is great, but they they got Gerso Fernandez, they got Latif Bless Up Blessing. Um and they've got these guys on the wings who are supposed to score goals for them. And I think Gerso may lead the league in shots taken, or he's up there. That sounds about he right. He's not put it in the net. His shots aren't good enough. What um, I, I, I think they're going to struggle to score. Yeah, at this point, I would agree too. Um, what I will say though is that Dom Dwyer being scoreless through his first four allowed me to non-ironically say Dom Dwyer probably won't get a U.S. national team look until after Christian Ramirez gets his, and that was a fun thing to tweet. Um, did you get worse? I didn't see that. Did you, did you get some? Uh, well, there was like one guy who was like, "Yeah, but how how do you know that Christian's gonna like gonna be a good striker or whatever?" And it's like he has fifty six goals since April twenty fourteen. He's a good striker. That was yeah. fun. Yeah. Now, now that he's proving it in MLS, he has to prove it on some. He has to. You have to yeah, but his, you have to prove. Has he done it in the World Cup? Has he scored on Mars? Right. 
How about on a rainy day in Snow yeah. Snoke? Snoke. Good, exactly. <laughs> Snoke City. All right. On that note, uh let's okay. uh let's we'll we'll uh take a break and prepare ourselves for uh the love fest that is gonna be Minnesota United FC. <laughs> Welcome back to Minnesota United FC Party Time. We won a game, guys. Yes. Um, Saturday, it was against Real Salt Lake, 4-2. to two. It, was a, it wasn't just a 2-1 eking out, 1-0 to smash and grab. It was a comprehensive victory um, with some uh, beautiful moments, some scary moments, etc. Um I, I'd I'd like to maybe start with the positives first because we will kind of take it back a little bit. But uh, Jeff, I'll start with you. You're going to write a rewind that this week. Oh, uh, I thought you were saying I was one of the positives of the match. You are. Well, you were one of the positives. <laughs> Thank of the match. you. Good for you. Good. Um, you're going to write a rewind that this week. Uh, it'll come out Wednesday or Thursday, and that's when you're going to go back and. Uh, look! Look! Rewatch the game and kind of make some observations. Give us a uh, give us some uh, a little bit of a teaser of that. What What's one thing that stood out to you? Uh, one thing that stood out to me is that we had what I would call a competent ninety minutes out of a goalkeeper for the first time all season. Um, Bobby Shuttleworth had probably three or four really impressive game changing saves, and I think at least three of those saves happened when it was still tied 1-1 or when the loons were down 1-0. And well, there was that two a couple minute period where he had two the one was point blank. Yeah. And, so, and yeah. that one's up for save of the week on mlssoccer.com if you want to vote for that one, but um it yeah, he was incredible. I, you know, yeah, the 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 first goal I think he probably could have saved. And the the second goal, the the Movsisian one, which was the consolation prize, um yeah, that was a good finish. You know, I I don't think that many goalkeepers would have saved that. But on the whole, he he did really well to um, be in the right spot. His reflexes were keen. He did well orchestrating the back line, too. Um, and rightfully so, I think, right after the game, I asked Adrian Heath, who's your starter next week? And without hesitating, he said Bobby. So it, what's interesting about that is... Alfie was on the bench and healthy. He was able to play. He could have gone. And so if Shuttleworth had let in uh, three, four goals, whatever, yeah, I'm sure that you would have seen Alfie. But instead, uh, Cuddlesworth is going to be getting his start next week. Alex, are you uh, are you content with the your? I mean, goalkeeping is is your big bugaboo. So are you content with uh, what Jeff just said? Yeah, he had a really good game. Um, we named him one of our three stars of the uh, three stars of the match. Um, because as Jeff said, those, those, those two saves in particular, the point blank one against Mopsissian and then the, um, reaction stop he made, I forget who took the shot, but, um, the uh, one that took the save of the week. Bofo. I mean, those, those two saves, I mean, you know, they were game changing in a way because if RSL scores in one of those two, maybe, you know, the, the doubt and the, the disappointment starts to creep in for Minnesota and we are looking at a different score line, but you know, it it, it's, it was just sort of it was sort of surprising. Like your your goalkeeper can stop shots at the goal. Like your goalkeeper can steal yeah, points. They're allowed, for you. To, you're they're allowed to not let in goals. Yeah, that was that was pretty remarkable. Um, I I still don't think Shuttleworth is like he's 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 an 
average MLS goalkeeper, but he had a good game and we needed it and, uh, and, and good for him. That I, was exciting. I will say though, I do think he's an average MLS starter. I don't think it's necessarily that he's just kind of filler. I think he is someone where you could do worse than having Bobby Shuttleworth as your week in week out starter. Yeah. You could have Clement Diop. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. Optimism guys. Um, yeah. Optimism. So uh, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm, if I'm looking at it, it's gonna be tough for Alfie to get back into the lineup, I think, and then that raises. Uh, he's, I, don't, I think he's gone in the summer. Uh, he has to be right. Uh, as much and we as, talked as about this last as, week, yeah, and the week I, before, but as much as I enjoyed my conversation with him and think he's probably a, a very nice guy, I, I mean, he's taking up an international spot. He got his chance, and maybe it wasn't it wasn't completely fair on him to be honest. But he's thirty four. He had a chance, and I, I think that they've. I think he was always brought in as a stopgap. Uh, I think Quarse, uh, maybe Quarse, will be healthy again, and we can. For a second, up. I thought you said Corstead. Yeah, like Brian Corstead. We're going to bring in, uh, you know, good old BQ. one editor. Uh, yeah. um, so there's a couple we, we want to go through. There's a lot of players who had great nights that, that night. Maybe we should just take a few few minutes to go through them. I thought the first half from uh, Jerome Tiasson, in particular, I was just like that guy is so good at distribution. His passing is so good. He's also a very good defender. I was very impressed with him. Uh, the other people um, uh, I want to go through is Ibsen. Effing Jekyll and Hyde, bro. First half, it's uh, it's crazy Ibsen. Uh, basically, I decided he's Keanu Reeves in point break, where there's that Ooh, one moment shout. the ball, he gives up the ball, and the guy's still there. He could still make a tackle on the ball. And he instead rolls on his side and he shoots the gun into the air. And he's like, ah, boom, boom, boom. Just Keanu I Actually, this is true. I could hear you from the press box in that moment, Wes. I was, uh, I don't, I forget who was around me. The Jarvis were, because the, they confirmed this. I was like, I was hey, I heard. flipping my shit. I, I already was, have. So I last week in Rewind that, I had a clip of Ibsen cursing his lot in the world and looking up to the skies, um, and I, I think I, I cited the Hercules disappointed line reading, and this week I found that clip, I could barely hear you on the TV telecast, but I definitely heard you in the press box, uh, I think you shouted, what the fuck? When? <laughs> when Ibsen had the turnover that was led immediately to a shot. This week? Yeah. I could hear you from the press box. No way. Yes. In the on the feed? Uh no, like when I was in the press box. You yeah. can like faintly hear it because I know what I'm listening for. Anyway, not the point. Uh <laughs> well, like where did you how you didn't hear me in the stands. Yeah. Really? Well, because the press box is like on the oh. same end line of the field, and so I could hear what I did scream it. I was I It was I, awesome. If, if we had given up a goal then, I swear to God, I would have been on the pitch. We almost did. Shiving that dude. There I was, just I just I had something I could have there quickly was, whittled it down <laughs> into a sharp object to shiv him in the kidneys. There, there was, but I mean, that was one of the saves Shuttleworth made. Um, and then I think you were going to talk about his second half, which was much more composed. And oh, his second half was like that was exactly the Ibsen that that we want. He he was so good at spreading the ball around. He was chasing balls down. I don't know. Maybe Ian Fuller did shiv him or something during the half. Um, if so, he's something. a quick recoverer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just a gentle shiv, like like a starfish but with like his limb cut off. Enough to make the um, you know enough to make a little bit of blood and make mm -hmm. some pain and be like, okay, I got it. I, I'm. I'll. But Ibsen was so much better in the second half. 
Um, and the same thing with uh, Bashkim Kadri, who, if well, you go look at... to say one thing on Ibsen? Yeah. Please. Um, we, it, there was a period in, this, in the first half where he was like the offense. We kept giving him the ball, and then all of the attackers would run forward, trying to make runs for him to, you know, lace some beautiful pass into him. And it wasn't, it wasn't working. Um, and he was, it was sort of hero ball with, with Ibsen as like the genius distributor. Um, and nothing really came of it. In the second half, the attack was running through Kevin Molino. And that okay. was so much better for Ibsen, I think, because he didn't, he, he, he just didn't have, he didn't, he was not put in these positions where he has to sort of dribble and he hesitates and he's looking for the perfect pass and people are sort of w- hesitating, waiting for him to play it. And they were just, you know, and then eventually he loses the ball. That that didn't happen at all in the second half. It was much cleaner, much more decisive. And I think that somehow we we figured out a way, and I'm not sure how it happened, but we, we figured out a way to get Kevin Molino the ball much more. And that made, to me, a huge difference. Well, two things. First, I think we got the ball to Molino because the Real Salt Lake back line consisted of two fullbacks playing center back and two midfielders playing fullback. But that um, was true for the first half, too. I mean, well, maybe they had it was just that we didn't take minutes. advantage of it. Yeah. So but so I think that's part of it. I think another thing and this this goes back to why after the Colorado match I was like, "Hey guys, I know Ibsen played really well, but let's keep him in that role because Ibsen is somebody who is 34, 33, and so he has a lot of miles on his tires and he's has quality miles as well. And so for him, he's lost a step from where he used to be in his prime. He hasn't lost the mentality and he hasn't lost the passing ability. And so in the first half, when he's playing against everyone with fresh legs, I think he overcompensates and tries to make up for uh, the fact that everyone is a little faster than him, a little stronger than him by trying to dribble around for 45 seconds and then crossing a ball over the sideline like he did in New England. But if you bring him into the second half when the legs are slower than his then he can kind of settle into his rhythm and do his thing. And I think that's part of the reason why he does so well in the second half, because we don't see him track back on defense. That's just not who he is. But he did do defending. like he, he actually, did. In the like, second half. Yeah, in the second. That's what I mean. But the first half, yeah. he just saves his legs. And so yeah, if it's me, and we'll get to this in a second when we talk about the reinforcements that are coming into Minnesota United, I think that he is a perfect spark plug off the bench, and I think that that is the best role for him. I don't think that there's a role in the starting 11 for Ibsen. Okay. Let's, uh, I want to make a few other observations. You guys can jump in and, and uh, make some more. But I thought Vashkim Kadri had a better second half as well, where um, we finally started to see him do be impressive. Uh, he didn't, you know, I'm sure he wanted a goal. He had a couple that were good shots. Um, he His passing, if you look at his passing chart on uh, from Opta, it's not very good. It doesn't make really him look bad. good. No. But I did think... I started. You started to see someone because <clears throat> basically we need a left a left midfielder, right? A left winger, and Ibarra's not showing up. Kadri's not showing up. One of you just someone do it, and then look, Kadri, he didn't, you know, have a lights out game and and you know settle it settle the the debate debate. But I think he showed a little bit better, and so he needs to keep on doing that and. He- yeah, he he had one incredible moment, which was that receiving that crossfield ball. He one touch it brings it down perfectly, like leaves Mulholland in the dust, and goes in on Ramondo. And he he makes a nice shot, but it wasn't the perfect shot. And Ramondo made a very nice save. Um, yeah. And 
and that was I mean that was incredible. The, the the touch and the way that he brought that ball down and went on a went in on a goal was just it was it was fantastic. But then he didn't you know he didn't he didn't score and he gave the ball up a lot. He was really active. But but something that really worried me watching him is that he was never able to fashion for himself like that that inch of space that you need to get in a cross or get off a shot. He had, uh, must have been four or five blocked crosses and shots where he would make a move and, and that space would seem to be there and then someone else would recover. I think he is not, he's, he doesn't pull the trigger quick enough. He doesn't, I, I, I don't know I what think, it is. I he takes you're... like an extra step or his, his, his back swing of his foot is too long, but he isn't quite quick enough to beat. And, and this was not, I mean, I guess Brooks Lennon was more of a more of a natural right back, but it happened against Mulholland too. And that kind of worries me. Well, I think the the thing to remember for all of these uh, foreign players is that players need betting in time, and so it may be it may be that naturally he's not gifted enough to do that, not fast <clears> enough, whatever. But it also may be that players like him need more time to fully flesh out you know settle in uh and you know the, the the thing is to create a squad that has enough people that can uh, if you see the promise there you can allow them to develop same thing I, I think goes with Rasmus Schuller he's not in the starting 11 but I think that he could push back in there um other guys that, that we can make observations about uh Christian Ramirez uh I mean the way that he he settled the ball uh, wrestled with his defender, laid the ball off for Molino, and then makes the run. The ball gets to him, and then he amazingly gets that ball over Nick Ramondo. That was, that was no one. I've never seen Christian Ramirez do that stuff. Uh, and we've said this the last couple of weeks. Like he's he's muscling people. You know, he's doing what Dom Dwyer kind of does. You know. Oh yeah, and it, that's like. He still can't win a goddamn header except for the one. Yeah, sorry, he did have the, <laughs> the, did have the yeah. goal. Yes, but but uh, I think amazing. I think he's found the secret, which is it's easier to work on your strength and just your overall brutishness than it is to work on your vertical. And for him, he's never gonna grow four inches and suddenly become a guy who can become like. And Andy okay, Carroll, but he's not short. Casey. He's not short, but he's also not. <laughs> growing anymore like luke mulholland is winning headers over this guy over but right. i think dwyer is actually like somewhat decent in the air yes so <laughs> but i think for him he found that the easiest way to improve his game and make himself a target forward is by muscling people off you see i mean i don't know what it is if miguel Barra spends more time at the gym taking instagram videos of like christian ramirez working out um or whatever it is but you see a lot of footage from miguel's instagram of christian just working on his upper body strength and that goal that we saw the one that you walked us through you're right i've never seen christian do something yeah. like that i also don't think i've seen any minnesota striker do something like that part of that is because strikers who can do that are playing in mls pablo used to be able to do but that, but, yeah. but pablo was just at the tail end of that once he got yeah. to minnesota yeah. and i i think that for for christian he he's not going to be the six foot four center guy so then he's the one who's the anchor who can take on any center back he was muscling off Aaron Mond at first um and yes he was muscling I think Chris Wingard is the the guy that he um ended up beating on that first goal that you talked about but 
he could take on Andrew Farrell, you know, last week, and then he certainly can take on some of these other center backs. So I, I think it's something that's sustainable. Um, and it, it's why I'm starting to think when I went on uh, my evangelism of saying that he'd get 10 or 12 goals this year, um, I'm feeling okay I believe I said somewhere that. around 14 to 16 because cool. I'm uh, I'm I'm basically decided that I'm just going to be the 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 lead preacher, Bible Belt preacher on this one. Uh, who, uh, Alex, do you want to talk about anyone anyone else in, in particular? There's lots of people too, but you know, yeah. Well, there are a couple a couple of points. Um, just one more note on Kadri, which is that we we mentioned his Opta chart. Um, it is really bad, but the interesting thing is that so many of his missed passes are forward. I mean, that dude went forward and did nothing but go forward mm-hmm. in that game which was welcome at least he wasn't you know just passing sideways and losing it second about christian if you look at his optic chart it's basically a bunch of touches like in the middle of the field that balls were booted to him he held it up and laid it off like that's most of his passes in the entire game and the third thing is that i love the fact and this is one of my favorite things about christian there is no Christian Ramirez goal. Like you know, it's not like Alan Gordon, where if he scores, you know it was you know an eighty-six minute header. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not like uh, uh, Chris Wondolowski, where you know it was sort of a tap in or the ball was bouncing around and it just fell to him because that he's always perfectly positioned. Right. Like Christian has scored off a turn and shoot at the top of the box. He scored off a glancing header. He scored off of a beautiful through ball, and he scored off of a horrific goalie error that. What happened in part because he didn't give up on a play and, and pressured the ball. You have to admit, so, it'd be amazing if Christian scored all 14 or 16 of his West predicted goals off of goalie errors. That would be one of the most remarkable tallies ever. Effing taking the, if he took PKs, he'd be top, he'd yeah. be top of the league. Yeah. Oh, he'd incredible. be tied with Kubo and, and just which, which, which would make me, if I were Adrian Heath, consider giving Christian the freaking PKs. To have the Golden Boot winner in your on your team, yeah, yeah, and that also, I mean, for him who's already coached Dom Dwyer yeah. and Kyle Lahren, it makes him look pretty damn good. Uh, uh, and Molino's Ty- PKs have been good, but yeah, just- uh, Tyler is doing it the hard way, so respect uh, that. Yeah, Tyler at the Death Loon asks, when can we actually start talking about how good Brent Coleman is? When we keep a clean sheet, probably. Ooh, I, I will say that he was better than Cal- <clears throat> Calvo. Calvo did not have a yep. good night. Uh, he didn't have a terrible night, but just. You know the first first goal was was it was Calvo's fault. Yeah, yeah. At least was heavily on him. Um, I thought Brent again. You know, I've said this every week. It's never beautiful, but it is so good. There were so many clearances that he made that I, I was just like, you know, again. Now that Josh Gatt is gone, I guess it's just me and 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 just getting the vapors over Brent. Uh, it was so good, but you know, it was quintessentially it was things like. Uh, late in the game, the ball's there. He's going to clear it out. He falls over, but he still gets his foot out there and kicks it out of the uh, out. I, I mean, he yeah. he is playing like someone who actually gives a damn, you know. And that's what's making him good. He's also he also is a good player, but he's playing far. He's playing out of his mind because he he cares. He knows that. This is his chance, and he's taking it. So that's like, that's exciting to watch. I mean, Christian's doing the same. I think. Um, yeah, yeah, they're they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, there's still room for him to improve, though. Of so course. The, so the Shuttleworth goal, oh, sorry, the Shuttleworth save that's up for save of the week. The reason the ball lands there is because Coleman didn't 
clear the ball properly from a header. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that I think that Justin Davis bl- uh, has most of the blame for that final RSL goal, but I think that Coleman could have been more alert to the danger. Um, I think that I think that you know we can start talking about how good Brent Coleman is, and we can have him on the team of the week when this team finally locks someone down and keeps a clean sheet. Yes. But um, until then, and I know that a lot of the errors have been, you know, in the, in the two games where it's been uh, Coleman and Calvo, and we've given up four goals, two of them basically directly attributable to Calvo making a goofy mistake. But, but you know, we really need to have a, a 90 minutes where we don't really allow any great chances. The other, the other thing to note is, is that Calvo got the captain's armband, but it was Brent who was really freaking loud. He was screaming, gesticulating, and not like just screaming at people, like to organizing things. Here's our line, etc. Like he was, he was exerting that that um, vocal vocal vocality. He was, yeah, he was saying. Things. Well, I will say, Alex, that I think you were. I mean, it's fair to say that yeah, the team needs to keep a clean sheet, but it, it's not like a defender doesn't have a good game or doesn't have an exceptional game until the entire back line keeps a clean sheet. If you look at the, the the first game against Portland, all five goals came against the Demidov-Taylor pairing, um, which I hope is one of the last times I ever have to talk about that pairing. Um, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but but that left side of especially, I mean, Calvo looked really good in that game, and, and the team gave up five goals. You know, I, I don't think hmm. it's fair to say that Coleman doesn't have a good game until the team keeps a clean sheet. Um, sure. and, and no, but I don't throwing- want to get comfortable with of course giving not. up it, two goals a game. But if any player is going to be disappointed in giving up two goals where he wasn't directly at fault at either of them, it's Brent Coleman. He, that, that's just kind of in his DNA. So yeah. I, I I think you're absolutely right. A clean sheet is sorely needed um, and, and when they before up, this team can gain a lot of momentum. Yeah. yeah. When, when they gave up that second goal um, in the 82nd or whatever, you, you could see it in their faces. Like Their goal was, all of those guys knew... <clears throat> Just lock it down. We can win, whatever. But they re- that really pissed them off, probably more than the first one. Yeah, because that was like we finally had it, and yes, we still won. But they wanted a clean sheet in that second half. Um, let's see. I'm we- firmly on the Brent Coleman hype train. Don't get me wrong. Whatever. But it's just like Brent's, people are talking. Brent's like mom is going to give you a call. Team of no, the week and that kind of stuff. And I think we should pump the brakes just a bit. So. There, there were a lot of great things going on uh, in that match. Uh, we didn't even talk about the Nick Romando uh, bad Cruyff turn, um, but let's let's talk about um, the the. Let's just move on to other things. Let's talk about the trade that happened on Friday, right? Because that is, I, I mean, I think we just need to lay this out for the listeners how crazy of a trade this is, right? So. On Friday, Sam Cronin and Mark Birch come in. Mohamed Saeed and Josh Gatt go away. Um, some are calling this the the, the Westerdine curse against Josh Gatt because I wanted to see him play. Um, but he, here's what we know about Mo Saeed and Josh. Mo Saeed is a good midfielder. I don't think he should have been starting for us. Uh, he's a useful player. Matt Doyle will will say that that's even being too generous. Uh, Josh Gatt is someone who has not impressed in training. Uh, you've said it, uh, uh, you know, Jeff. Um, but 
at, at the same time, I've I've heard it from other people that he just he thought that he could come in and blow this league up and well. I can tell you what I saw at training, mm-hmm. um, which is that Gat is a player who has pectorals to put even the, the tallest, baldest podcaster on his fainting chair. Yeah. But um, with Josh Gat, if they're doing any sort of endurance drills, acceleration, agility, he is the best of the best. And you can tell that he has made his career off of running. Which is a very important thing, don't get me wrong, for a winger. But what I saw is that if you put a ball at his feet, he looked like he'd never kicked a ball before in his life. Yeah. And I, and drip, and may, you know and, maybe it's not fit, it's fitness or whatever. Right. It is, but. but that's just where he was right now. If you're wondering why he wasn't in the 18 or why he wasn't on the field during that depleted squad New England debacle, yeah, that's why. Yeah. It's because he just wasn't. There. So when you're looking at why Colorado thinks this trade makes sense, first off, they're they're shipping out a 30-year-old defensive midfielder who was an all-star in 2015, probably their most important player in 2016, and their captain. That one is absolutely a screwy trade. I think he's one of the six best defensive midfielders in Major League Soccer. Three, but yeah. He's very high up there. And so for them to trade him, and then again, the captain. That's remarkable. Then you trade Mark Birch, who's a left back who has 25,000 minutes in MLS since joining the league. He's 32. He's a very capable defender, and he's a fantastic... Yeah, no, the warranty's good for another uh, 7,500 minutes, which is nice. That should get through the season. He's the guy who assisted against us. Yeah, he's the guy who assisted against us. Assisted the equalizer. He had a fantastic free kick against uh, Jaime Pinedo in 2015 that I tweeted out this morning. Um... I wouldn't expect that to be the norm, but he is a left-footed free-kick taker, which is something Minnesota hasn't had since, I don't know, Ace in the 70s. Um, And and then you're looking at uh, those two have combined for 40,000 minutes in MLS. Neither of them are so old you don't think they can play, like if they had gotten like a Donovan Ricketts. And in return, they're sending a midfielder who is admittedly a better fit for the Rapids system. If they're playing a narrow 4-3-3, he can play as one of those central midfielders much better than he could fit in sort of an empty bucket 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1 that Minnesota plays. And then Josh Gatt, who I just don't see... Well, maybe where he's going to see the field, more and that's him. just so, it. So good for he's them. He's a 24 year old former U.S. national team player who could get back to the U.S. national team with the rest coach. Maybe Pablo is just thinking that's him. I mean this this trade makes no sense, but thank God because because uh, seriously, Sam Cronin is uh, is going to help lock down that midfield. I don't know if you'll put him, you know, next to Ibsen, next to Colin Martin. Maybe you'll have uh, Warner there, too, and go really defensive or something like that. Well, we actually do have a, a question for that, so I think all three of us should have a prediction. It's from Jake Reuter on Twitter, um, who asks, uh, how do you set up your midfield now with the uh, departure of Saeed and the addition of um, uh, of Sam Cronin? Alex, let's start with you. How are you, how are you looking at this midfield? I could buy the way that you sort of alluded to earlier in, in this podcast where you play Cronin and Warner, defensive to start, and then you sub on Ibsen for Warner or Cronin uh, in the second half, and you sort of let Ibsen be Ibsen. Um, I think that's probably the safest approach. Um, We're going to have to see. I mean, with all these things, it's about figuring it out and hoping that this time we figure something out quickly rather than slowly. Um, But... I, I I mean he's he's got to play um, 
I'm not sure he, he's my top three defensive mid, but he's up there. He's a very good player. Um, and his leadership on the field, and it's a lot of stuff that we've been missing, and uh, he's got to play. I'll tell you this much. The, the coaching staff is very, very high on Ibsen right now. Um, I, I think I think this weekend we're going to see Cronin next to Ibsen to start. And I think if Heath can keep cattle prodding him or something <laughs> like or if, if, you know, Fuller just gives him the pregame shiv, uh, then, then we can get uh, Ibsen A, get Jekyll out there. Um, I think that that's great. Uh, so I, I think that Sam Cronin signing is unreal. Uh, I know they, they were after him for a long time and it came about. The, but the Mark Birch signing as well, um, when I spoke to someone uh, very close to the Rapids, they they said that he was one of the one of the keys last year. You know, and, and he has one more year on his contract. He's 32. So that part of the deal makes a little bit of sense. It's perfect for us because maybe we can sign him again for another year or two, or it gives us time to come up with a long-term plan. But he's also, as you said, with the assist, someone who can bomb forward. And what Heath really wants is attacking fullbacks. But then if you want attacking fullbacks, why are you starting Ibsen? So, so this is why, for me, you have... That was a perfect segue. Thank you. Um, you have Cronin and Warner as your midfield. Through and through, they're two sixes. Warner has actually proven over the first four games, five games of the season, he can move forward and attack and not be a hindrance, um, both with his distribution and then his incredibly like banana-curved goal. Um, but if you're looking to do that, and this goes back to 2016, with, with the first game of the NASL season when you had Greg Jordan and Jeb Brofsky as the Minnesota United pairing, the reason that you have two sixes so your fullbacks can go forward and the defensive midfielders are holding back to stop a counterattack. If there's one way that Minnesota United has been exposed and looks just damn naive as far as how they're lining up, it's that on the counterattack, they are always outnumbered. And so if you have at least one of those two is always anchored back, and that would be Cronin, and more more often than not, probably Warner as well, you're so much better situated to be able to take on those counterattacks. And I think that that could do very well for a Minnesota United team that is at their best if they're playing in the attacking half. That could be. I mean, but you don't... Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't want to go into the weeds of, of tactics. But uh, r- regardless, I think that this... It's a, it's a damn shame that this, this trade did not, this stuff did not happen in the offseason. And maybe we'll get more background so that we can pub- publish on that. I know it's there, but I haven't yet been able to put it all together to write about. Um, yeah. But this is the, the, this is like two fantastic signings. If they can sign another center back, another goalkeeper, they need a backup striker as well. And I would argue that they should probably, if they're going to but, bring in a DP this summer, that suddenly becomes a left winger, if you're asking me. Sure. Well, you have a couple, you have two more months to to evaluate, is Kadri good enough? Can Miguel come out of his funk or out of his shell? But um, I think the great thing is that Brent is paying, playing out of his mind, and no one should feel disappointed if we sign a starting center back to push Brent back to the bench brent will get his chance during the gold cup as well um just because just because you have someone playing fantastically does not mean you don't try to go out and find an improvement on that so 
so there's that. Uh, let's see. Looking ahead to FC Dallas, which is the the matchup this weekend, which is probably going to be coming back down to earth <laughs> for Minnesota United. Um, there is a little bit of a caveat here. Dallas will be playing with a few days shorter rest because they are, have the second leg of their CONCACAF Champions League semifinal matchup with Pachuca in Pachuca. Yeah. And so there's going to be a lot of travel involved and their travel altitude altitude and they're also going to well. yeah, emotions and wanting to be in the final CONCACAF Champions League, which has always been kind of a bugaboo yeah. if you're looking for MLS sides. So they're going to be giving it their all. It won't be their B team out there. Yeah. And so you're going to be seeing some tired legs, legs that had like you said been playing in altitude in a really high stakes game. Um I still think FC Dallas will win, but I I think that they're going to be more vulnerable than you would almost ever catch FC Dallas, especially if they're playing at home. Alex, this Oscar Pereja side is uh, absolutely amazing. I think the best team in MLS uh, yeah. can can just tear people apart. Should, I mean, should we, should we just watch this game in a bunker? The last time uh, Dallas played after the CONCACAF Champions League match, if I remember, they played a bunch of... They played some... Or around the vicinity of, of, of Concast Mass, I played some reserves, and that was when Paxton Pomacall made his debut, and they had a couple other kids on the field. I think it's, I mean, Dallas's kids are better than everyone else's kids, but... Yeah, they I will be also feeling a little bit confident against a team like Minnesota United. Also, Minnesota right. doesn't have I kids. Think, well, and this will be the topic of the article that should come out by the time this podcast comes out, but it's basically, you know, which which... Minnesota United is it? Are we are we the team that um, are we the team that you know that that beat RSL and 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 tied Colorado and you know have a very good offense and a you know mediocre defense or are we you know this team that will occasionally get blown out? Um, you know what what kind of team are we? I think we're going to really figure it out in not only this game against Dallas but the next game against Houston. Two teams with who are playing really well right now. Um, so I'm not really willing to predict. I, you know, I think that there's a chance that Minnesota come out and really surprise them. Um, but there's also a chance that the game is, you know, seven, seven, one or something. And, and, we're feeling really bad again next week. I will also say you name-dropping Paxton, Paxton Pomacall reminds me of my friend Stuart's cat, who's named Paxton. It's the Stuart you met this weekend, Wes. Um, he's a dark cloud, and he has a cat named Paxton. And anytime they talk about him being a hot prospect, I just think of a young cat. Name name is the cat named after Bill Paxton? Um, I will ask Stuart and report back next week. Okay. Um, all right. Let's. Uh, any other final uh, retrospective Minnesota United notes that we want to say? What's uh, your uh, prediction for the Dallas game, Wes? I think that they win three to one. Minnesota? No, no, Dallas. Okay, got it. Um, just curious. but only three goals given up. So. Yeah, that'd be that'd be impressive, actually. Uh, do you have Do you have one? Uh, I think that they're actually three one sounds right. Yeah. Not to cop out, but yeah, I think three. I will say final final notes on it were were that um, it was one of the not just because of winning. It was one of the most fun uh, matches I've been at. Uh, of just like the dark clouds were in were were in out in force. It, it was great. A, a absolute ton of fun. Uh, and, uh, Melissa Danner, by the way, asked uh, five best United experiences that you've uh, had in the stands. Wes, you were in the stands for this one. I was in the press box. So you'll be able to answer this best. What this compared? was in the top five. Uh, New York Cosmos, the win over New York Cosmos at home was probably number two. It has to be United. Just, I assume Minnesota. Uh, that you've had. Uh, I mean, Tampa, the 
2012 uh, first leg of the final against Tampa, the the two nothing uh, victory is number one. Uh, all, all we, I can't imagine that being supplanted anytime soon. Uh, so the one two, this was somewhere in the top five. Um, uh, I can't think of uh, the, that's. I'll so just your say top that's, three. That's probably. my top three. I, I I don't know. Alex, do you, any any others come to mind? Swansea City was fun. Mm. Swansea, okay. Yeah. Um, let's take a break here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to answer some Twitter questions, and most of them are still related to Minnesota United. back to the 55.1 podcast we're here with your twitter questions which we always appreciate you sending if you have longer questions send them to westberdine at 55.1 thank you or send them to my dms which people have done sometimes and that's always amusing and i don't think we've ever used them um lorenzo well, castagnon more responsible to your probably team. should but I, I usually just answer them in dms because i think like oh yeah. you're just asking me and they're like i meant for the pod and then i, have I will left. I, let, let me before you get started i will say at this at this last game as well uh, several times uh people just came, came up to me and started talking to me about the website and the podcast and that like i mean for my vanity sake is awesome makes me feel good but it's so cool like when i'm at games and doing the game thing i'm so i'm just in a weird space uh, and it's like, like talking to people is weird, but I love talking to people and just being like, oh, uh, when did you, you know, how long have you been watching? Like meeting people like that because we get in our routines. I watch games next to the same people, et cetera. That's so cool. So thank you for everyone, including former Minnesota Thunder player, Dale Weiler came up to me at, at Surly after the game and I had never met him before. And, uh, and one of our, one of our, uh, longtime dark clouds, uh, Tim, uh, super rookie, uh, is obsessed with Dale Weiler. And so, uh, that was very cool. So I got to, got to meet Dale. He listened to this. Hi, Dale. Thanks for saying hi. Uh, now let's do Twitter questions. There you go. Uh, Lorenzo Castagnon asks, uh, Christian Ramirez is doing it. Will he be one of the top scorers this season? If so, will teams come and knock? Um, I think we, Alex, I don't know. Do you agree that somewhere between 12 and 16 goals is a, a He's already at four through five, so over the next twenty nine games, he gets another ten or so. Yeah, that would be, be kind of disappointing given how he started the season. Yeah, but um, you know, scores teams come go for him. Um, his age, which is twenty six, correct, may actually work to our advantage in the fact that he's unlikely to make a a big uh, overseas move. But if he scores twenty goals, um, you know, twenty plus, they'll they'll probably be interest. There will still be interest from Mexico. Yeah. Um, I, I'm. I think. I think you're absolutely right about his age, um, and I think that people will still do this weird doubting thing. I think, absolutely, he is one of the top. I think he'll probably be the top American goal scorer in MLS. And I think he'll probably be in the top five in the league for the Golden Boot, and I, I think. I mean, people will still inquire, but he's such a weird profile of a player, right? He's not, you can tell, I can tell you exactly how Dom Dwyer plays. And I can't tell you about Christian, which is one of his, one of the advantages for him, but it's always been the knock against him. He doesn't do these things. He doesn't do these things, but he does do this, but he does effing score goals. Yeah. So 
I don't. I don't think that people will come knocking, especially because he just signed a a, a new contract. Um, very quick uh, Twitter. The one thing that could change that is if he gets a call up and does something with the national. That's team. actually yeah. That's the next thing I was going to bring up. It's something I, I Alex and I tweeted back and forth about, and uh, a lot of other people chimed in too. Which is on Sunday, I tweeted out that I'd be surprised if he isn't at least on the short list of players for his consideration for the Gold Cup. Um, the Gold Cup. Traditionally, when it comes during a qualifying cycle, draws kind of some of those next in that you think you might need at the end of a, a qualifying cycle, um, but aren't quite there for that next batch, which I think is like on both sides of the Gold Cup. And so you rarely will see like the Josie Altidores, the Clint Dempsey's, whatever. So you're kind of seeing the next ins. Um, well, Chris do you think Christian would keeps get on getting a call. And I, I totally understand that most of the time. Sometimes Alan Gordon will get a call. That won't happen anymore. I mean, it ha- like at this point, What's the pecking order? Sure, you've got you know he's not supplanting. Alex, Josie. you gave us the pecking order. Actually, what's who do you rank? We'll take away Dempsey Altidore. Who do you put and, and ahead? Bobby. And Bobby Dempsey isn't the same position, but Wood and Altidore, yeah, they're on top, and their experience with the team and their international uh, experience in top leagues in Europe will make them pretty hard to supplant at the top. Altador also just has, it was tweeted during the last U.S. games, but he has a great record with the U.S. teams. Um, beyond that, though, I think that let's, I think that the, the, the person who Christian would be gunning for is Jordan Morris. So if at the end of the season, you know, if the season ends and Christian has 18 goals and Jordan Morris has 14 goals or something, I think that I mean I, it's definitely a January camp call but up, but I think that he's Christian not getting can, called up instead of Jordan Jordan Morris. Though. No, Jordan Morris. There's enough no. uh, invested in that this guy. At least, I, at I least could, not for now. But you know, I could at least see not for the near term. Where like let's say Bobby Wood doesn't get called in because he's just finishing off a long uh, campaign with Hamburg and he has a lot of transfer questions about him because he's probably moving up in the pecking order again this summer. Um, mm. I could see Morris having a breakout tournament, being the main starter up top uh, in case Josie needs rest or if he's just being safe for qualifiers, whatever Morris has a hell of a campaign and Ramirez gets his debut in the gold cup as a, a substitute or something. That seems very logical to me. So um, I, I, I could see a Lottie getting his chance. Christian gets well. called up on, um, for one of these games that counts. I yeah. think that, sure. I think that unless he is really tearing, unless he continues this four goals and five, five matches, I think that he's going to have to wait until a friendly cycle or January uh, before Arena will take a chance. All right. But I, I, if he's really killing it, that changes things. Yeah, I, I could spend probably an hour of podcast time talking about yeah, Chris, things Christian have. Ramirez is capable yeah. of Christian doing. Christian Ramirez tonight, the the weekly podcast. Uh, this is from uh, Isaac. Uh, NWSL question. Is there passion in the front office to try and get a team once Midway is built? And what's their name? The, the name of the passion is Existent. Um, yeah, I, I think that the Minnesota passion, the Minnesota passion, the passion of the Christian Ramirez. Uh, yeah, it'd be the Purple Rain. Yeah, uh, something. Oh, I don't know. I, anyway, I I, do, I know that you hate Prince. Uh, Wes, I I do, actually, that is not true. I do not hate Prince or his music. Sorry. I, just, I think that this is so like far it. in the future. Thanks, Alex. That uh, that uh, like two years in the future. Let's get the stadium built first. I think that that's what the F. The front office. I've, I've, say, brought, I've brought this many times up to yeah. uh, Doctor McGuire, and he's kind of punted. So I have no idea what his thoughts are, but he has basically said, "Look, we got to get a team in MLS. We got to build a stadium. We got to do these things. There's a lot of money being invested in that. Uh, they have to they have to develop a, a marketplace for this team, which we did not talk about 
This team had 17,000 people out to its second game in MLS. That is absolute not good shit. enough. On yeah. uh, one of the most beautiful, uh, uh, probably the second most beautiful day of the year so far. I mean, it was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, there's no excuse for 17,000. That's no, that's garbage. So, yeah. Yep. No, agreed. Um, NWSL, I, I think that you both are spot on. It's just 2019 or so, then we can start thinking about that. Um, Calvin Ziegler asks, what is Miguel Ibarra's future with this club? I mean, he still has a future with the club. I, I think that it might be something of a super sub role. He's someone who can play left wing, left wing or right wing, which is some versatility. Um, but yeah, I, I think for now he is kind of one of those guys who's off the bench every single game to try to change a game with his pace and with his tenacity. But um, yeah, for me right now, he's just not a starter. People are way quick, way too quick to panic. Like he doesn't start for one game and people like freak out. He came on as a sub and actually was pretty good in this RSL game and he had 10 minutes. But he started a bunch of games. I think his future with the club, maybe he doesn't nail down the left wing spot. Maybe Kadri gets that. Maybe he does nail down the left wing spot. I think it's up in the air. Um, but his future with the club is is with the club, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. I mean, basically, you know, it's not whether or not he's here or not. He'll be here for for uh, a while, a little while, I think, at least. Uh, but the future for him is, you look at what happened. We talked about Christian and Brent. These are guys who had a lot to prove, and they've really upped their game uh, to a... To a in a, an amazing degree. This is a chance for Miguel. And Miguel is someone who does not, he just doesn't have the same type of built-in confidence as, a, as uh, you know, I think Christian does. Um, I think Miguel just needs to get his head down. He'll, he'll do it. He'll get his chance. It'll come out. Or maybe he won't. I don't know. Maybe he'll be at this level and he's not going to be able to raise it. But I think he can... You know, we've we have seen him be able to do magic. It's just when he feels confident to do that, and so right now he he's not feeling that way. Yeah, uh, Jacob Bond asks: Now that we've studied the ship a little bit via trade, what is your over under on wins, and how many more Grant Wall chants? Uh, to the latter, I think the the are you watching Grant Wall chant uh, will happen anytime Wes feels there's a reason to chant that. So Grant Grant's response when I tweeted tweeted that at him. I did not get the video for him, unfortunately. Uh, was like, it was just, really? I couldn't tell if he found it funny or not. Probably not. Yeah. He doesn't He doesn't laugh very much. Anyway, uh, over-under on wins. Oh, that's so tough to tell when I'm not looking at his schedule. I have no idea, honestly. Uh, honestly, we could still be the worst team ever, guys. Like, we won a game. Yeah. Against could, a bad team. Yeah. We do play Colorado April 23rd. And that will be the next chance to have a good... We need to get through the next two games and get a point, maybe three. And a then, point is great. And then look at... Well, a point is is good. No, that, no great great in the sense of like at least you got something out of it because yeah. these are a tough pair of yeah. games here. And and then we come home and Colorado, we need to win. We just We basically need to win these home games and we need to win against these teams who are just about on our level, maybe a, a little above. The thing that will decide the season is this run of home games that we have during the summer. Um, we've got sort of two runs of them, and yeah. mm-hmm. if we can win at home, then we will we can make the playoffs. And, honestly, and but we, we need to we remember also not. that the 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 Portland away tough ass game. Um, uh, 
Dallas away, tough ass game. Those are two very difficult teams, two games to have early on. Um, of course, there's lots of good teams in the West. There's not going to be many duds. Uh, hopefully, San Jose and Houston will start to come down from from their uh, maybe over overachieving their level. But um, uh, yeah, this this final question will close on this. Which yeah, is from, it, it's related. It's from Alex Creo, which is how do you feel, Wes, about cursing Josh Gatt on last week's pod? And uh, also, when can we expect our next win to come now that we made that trade? There are a couple winnable games. You mentioned the Colorado game. I think there's one May 15th or something like that against San Jose at the bank, which seems pretty doable. But uh, Alex, do, do you look and see kind of like a this should be a win on the schedule coming up? Well, Minnesota teams have never, ever lost to teams from Salt Lake or Colorado. So I am expecting a win against Colorado at home. So that's 23rd, 29th is uh, the next weekend at home to San Jose. Excellent. Those games, we should get four points from those those games. Six points. Six points. Six, yeah. But things happen. Uh, I will say <laughs> no player should uh, apparently want to be on my I want to see you play list, apparently. So Christian Ramirez and Brent and Kadri, everyone I talked about today is going to get traded. That's apparently what this means. Um, no, I mean, we should be able to be excited about this. We did not say about the RSL game. Uh, now we're throwing it at the end. This was a completely depleted RSL team. If you looked at their injury list, it was like way worse than what we were missing in New England. It, it, I mean, those guys, like, so we should feel great. We we got the win, got the monkey off the back. Oh, great. We can breathe. Go, you know. Um, but th- but that's what they it. needed. I don't think that in that locker room, they give a rat's ass what the injury report was. They won a game, and they yeah, won yeah. it by multiple goals. Saying- I think so that does as much for the team moving forward. And honestly, the fact that it was... A pretty convi- especially in that second half, that's a very convincing ass kicking. But, and but I think, think that does more for them than the two to they one. They did exactly speaker. what they should have done. Yes. Which and, is beat and, a depleted team at home. And think about all the caveats we've made for all these games for our team, you know, for Portland. Oh, away I don't disagree. First, I'm just saying I I don't think the team is like teetering and thinking, yeah, that was a half assed win. Yeah. And so I think no, for no, the future no. that bodes well. Yeah. Um all right, we've come to the end. Uh, Alex, Jeff, thank you. This is the 55-1 podcast. Please uh, come check us out on the website and uh, say hello. Send your Twitter questions and send uh, emails. Uh, you know, just uh, whatever you want. Uh, questions throughout the week, which will actually, Jeff will actually do a better job of putting them in our questions list. Um, but thank you, and uh, we'll see you next week. 